This is the woman behind the business, featuring honest dialogue that advances and inspires women entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Angel Livis. This week on The Woman Behind the Business, taking care of business and home. You know me, I'm your host, Angel Livis, and today our conversation is going to get personal. As a mother of two, I understand the demands that go along with managing a home and an office, and today's guests are going to equip us with the tools to assist us with managing both parenting and maintaining a healthy mental health. Carol Maletta is the co-founder and managing partner of Gardner Parenting Consultants, where she creates parenting programs, provides trainings, and consults with families. She creates customized tools and resources to guide parents throughout their journey of encouraging their children to be confident, self-disciplined, while also promoting harmony in the family. She is a certified parent educator through the Parent Encouragement Program and is host of WOLB 1010 Parenting 411, where they provide information parents need from sources they trust. Welcome to the show, Carol. Thank you so much for having me, Angel. Absolutely. Now, disclaimer, y'all know I like to tell y'all how I met people. So recently, Carol and I was at a a get together uh, with a sorority sister um, of representing our ladies of Alpha Kappa Alpha, so already incorporated. (laughs) Um, And we were talking about the different things and responsibilities that women have and their businesses and different things that they have going on. And I was very compelled in hearing the different things that uh, Carol is doing because it's not often that you run into someone who works as a parent educator or Mm. to help people, you know, with their children, Mm -hmm. unless they're like, you know, in trouble, you right. know, the kids are in trouble. And so um, they always say there's no guide mm-hmm. to parenting. Mm-hmm. And then I met you and it's like, no, look, there is somebody <laughs> that can help you. So thank you so much for being with us. Thank you for having me. Um, now, I know that you have some beautiful twins. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, and when you have children mm-hmm. and you give birth, you know, there's a stage of just being in awe mm-hmm. of being a parent. Mm-hmm. When did that transition from you uh, for you where it was no longer just the awe of being a parent, but it got real? Like, and how are you going to deal with it, cope with it and all of that? Oh, wow. So I would say pretty soon after I brought them home, because I have to say that in my former life, I was in um, corporate marketing and I was very much a planner. Mm -hmm. And I really had already envisioned that these twins were going to eat together. They were going to snap at the same time. I just thought, I thought things were really going to run very smoothly. Mm -hmm. And Obviously, they had their own personalities, their own schedules, their own quirks, and all of that. And so, also, I would say, about when they were could could start walking, Mm -hmm. maybe that's what I should say. It's not so much when they first got home, but when they started walking and started wanting to go do what they wanted to do. And I remember saying to myself... You know, people used to listen to me like in my (laughs) former job before I came home with you all. If I called a meeting or I suggested made some suggestions, people thought it was a good idea. You all are not with my program at all. Y'all are not, you know, you're not cooperating. Like what's happening? Yes. 
So that, that is probably truly uh, when it got real. Of course, it was you know pretty interesting when I first brought them home to you know mm-hmm. feeding them, and of course, even then they didn't want to nurse at the same time right. and all of that. But if if it if I truly had to think about when it got real, it was when they started walking. And so, how did you cope with that? Well, uh, I tell you, it was really a day-to-day thing. I was really kind of operating that way, like making sure they were fed, bathed, all these other things, and uh, and I inter- and they played, and and we had a good time, and we just survived. Mm-hmm. I was just really in survival mode, and I really wanted to get out of that mode right. because I didn't want to wish away their childhood. Right. I wanted to enjoy it. So I kind of had to start thinking about getting um, getting some order. And I did also get some help. And I should also say, too, that during that time, my husband traveled a lot overseas. And because he needed to make a lot of trips, he would go to a lot of countries over like maybe 10 days mm-hmm. instead of making a lot of mini trips. Mm-hmm. And so... I really had to get get my act together. It was it was really fun in the beginning, where I would wait for my husband to get home from work so we could bathe the children together and all that. But I mean, you know what Washington D.C. traffic mm-hmm. is like, mm-hmm. and so that would that was variable when he would get home. So I said, "No, you're you're really going to have to to get on the stick now and get them on a good routine mm-hmm. and all of that kind of thing." So um, I just started applying some of those skills that I had used in the workplace Mm -hmm. to home. Now, did you leave the workplace after the children or were you still working? Uh, What I did was take leave and I had a lot of leave built up. So I I was really home almost a whole year. Uh, I mean, some most of that was paid, but, you know, then some of it wasn't. But I had a lot of leave. So, uh, yes, I was technically still on the books, Mm -hmm. but I did decide to make the break after that that year. I came Mm -hmm. in and kind of saw what I would be doing and I just didn't think that was something that I would leave my children for. Mm-hmm. And so what I did do, though, was start a marketing consulting firm um, called Return on Intelligence. Mm. And so I was doing that. And again, by then, we had found a nanny that we really liked that could help. And so I worked at home. And what I was finding, though, was that when I was working on the business, I wished I was downstairs with the children. And mm-hmm. then when I was with them, I was stressed out about what I should be doing with that. So I transitioned out of that when they were about uh, maybe 18 months old mm-hmm. and and then just focused on them. Like, I need to get them at least ready to go to school, right. you know, to, to age five. So, so what encouraged you? Um, or was a determining factor in you creating um, your current organization Mm -hmm. and pursuing a career as a parent educator? Well, when I was home with my children uh, and got them ready to to go to um, preschool, the one of the preschool teachers had handed out some information on back to school night, and it was with um, it was for some parenting classes, mm-hmm. and so I said, well, well, why not? I why don't why don't I check that out because. They were twins and they were really fascinating to me, so different. Mm -hmm. And so I really wanted to explore how to parent them and nurture them as individuals and not as this unit. Because Mm -hmm. I had heard stories from adult twins Mm -hmm. who were friends of mine who talked about that problem, um, that they felt everybody treated them like one unit. And so... 
I just went to take one of the uh, parenting classes, and it just really resonated with me. The particular philosophy mm-hmm. uh, re- really resonated with me. And so I took one class and then another class, and then they asked me to consider teaching. And so I really didn't want to do that at first because I was just so enthusiastic about all of the classes that they had to offer. And they said, look, you can still teach and, and still <laughs> and learn as well. So eventually I did um, I did do that. And so around this same time when my children were young, I had joined a mom's group. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, well, actually, I should say I really joined that when they were uh, they were maybe about six months old. So a lot of the moms that I met during that time, once I started taking parenting classes, we'd be having conversations about it. Mm-hmm. And so... So then another friend that I met in that group had said, uh, you know, we should one day, maybe we should put together a company or something because she really enjoyed educational enrichment Mm -hmm. and really making learning come alive for for children. And so I had a vision, actually, um, and God told me that I would be one day telling um, teaching classes and people would pay me Mm -hmm. to to teach them. And Mm -hmm. I was like, no, God, that's really, no, that's really not going to happen to to pay me. And it was just like this conversation. Uh, yeah, people are going to pay you. Yes. And so I was like, well, I don't know. I, I, I couldn't imagine that happening. And then he kind of said, but don't worry about it. Let them get into school. But I'm just telling you, that's going to happen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, we probably for about five years, I kind of ran away from that, like Jonah, you know, in the Bible, <laughs> running away from something that God told him to do. Right. And um, so then about that time, you know, my, my business, my now business partner and I finally decided to start something that was in 2009. Mm-hmm. And so we we and we had two engagements right out of the gate uh, with a, a one was a group of parents that were had adopted Ethiopian children mm-hmm. and really it was a cultural awareness class for them mm-hmm. and then we created um, really what a, was our centerpiece which is a positive discipline course and at that time we've changed the name now but it used to be parenting without the paddle Hmm. because we really wanted to get people's attention, just like you said. Hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So we wanted to talk about that. Now, one of the philosophies that that you kind of mention about how you go about and handle your business Mm -hmm. is as though it's a parenting ministry. Oh, absolutely. Why, Why do you call it a parenting ministry? Well, the interesting thing is when I was taking those classes, as I told you, um, the parenting classes with the Parent Encouragement Program, mm-hmm. what I found was that what what they were talking about, because this is their approach is based on Adlerian psychology, mm-hmm. which really has to do with uh, understanding human behavior mm-hmm. through man's desire to to connect, to contribute. And to be capable and to matter. Mm-hmm. And so with with that in mind, um, one of um, Adler's students mm-hmm. kind of brought that forward and talked about how to um, apply that to children mm-hmm. and how you help them to to learn to be confident and capable through 
consequences Mm -hmm. versus punishment Mm -hmm. and how you have respect for the child by not expecting too little of the child Mm -hmm. and at the same time not expecting too much and that you they really want because they have those four objectives they want to connect they want to be capable they want to be they want to know that they matter and they want to contribute Mm -hmm. but a lot of times we shoo them away Mm -hmm. and so then, of course, that's when the behavior comes in because they're saying, well, I'm trying to do these good things. I'm trying to um, contribute and be positive, but the adults around me don't want me to do that. They don't, they don't. Well, how can you help them through that part? Right. And so what you do then is to, to provide opportunities to train them. Take the time. I know we're very busy, but take the time to teach them how to do things. And of course, at an age appropriate level, and there are lots of resources online that talk about um, jobs that children can do um, by age. Yeah. So I would have I would never think to Google jobs appropriate for my kids. I mean, I think it's great. I think it's brilliant. But like, so for instance, I know people sometimes tell me, um, Angel, you know, your kids are too young to be making their bed. I'm like, oh, he's why? <laughs> he knows how to like if you show them. And the funny thing is, he's so excited. Like I made my bed. Like I'll run in and tell you. So. Mm-hmm. And that's it. You kind of take little things and, and you also look at their interest. Look mm-hmm. at the things that they interrupt you. Like when you're trying to do something, be mindful of those things that they seem to be taking an interest in. If you notice that when you're trying to make dinner, they're always coming and pulling on your leg or whatever. Well, start thinking about what part of dinner they could help with. Mm-hmm. Like maybe it's starting off with making a salad. So t- uh, washing the lettuce or mm-hmm. tearing the lettuce. And you know, children like to get their hands and mm-hmm. get involved. So start there. Or really young children, you know, younger than your children, could help you load the dishwasher. Mm-hmm. And and there, there are lots of other skills that they could be learning at that time, like matching the forks, putting mm-hmm. the forks in one place and the knives in one place. And then they just feel like they're... Included. Contr- and, right. And when they feel um, confident and valued, then there's it's less likely that they'll feel like in order to get your attention, they need to... Act out. Right. Now... With your parenting ministry, is that something that do you think it attracts people to want to work with you? Oh, well, you know, it kind of depends. And I and I and I I forgot I didn't really get to explain that I really saw this as very biblical. Mm-hmm. Like nobody in my class when I was taking uh, parenting classes, I don't think anybody saw it that way. But mm-hmm. and it's not it wasn't a um, a religious organization where I was taking the classes or anything like that. But I said, this is so biblical. This so reminds me of my relationship with God, because just as I'm looking at the children and saying, why do they keep doing this or why aren't they listening? I can just imagine God looking at me like, why does she keep doing that? I told her to do the opposite. Mm-hmm. And so I started seeing that way. And then I started to realize that um, it's my job to to teach them. That's tr- truly the meaning of discipline, mm-hmm. uh, whereas very often discipline is equated with punishment. And so if I really thought about what discipline meant, then my job here is to really teach them and that these children and these particular children with this particular temperament and these particular needs were given to me and not anybody else 
for a reason. Mm -hmm. And that's where I started to see it as a ministry. And I started kind of talking about that with people in my class. And they were kind of like, I just want him to use the, I want him to, to learn how to um, use the toilet. That's just, that's just what I want. And, and I was like, well, nothing I, more, nothing less. I want those things too, but I really want to try to, um, to look at it a different way, look at my mission a different way. So, so some, you know, so some people, certainly it, it does resonate with some people that, you know, might be of the same faith, Christian faith or something like that. At the same time, I don't think it turns people off. I mean, they if you know me at all, you know that's where I'm coming from. But at the same time, every class that I'm in, I'm not standing, I'm not preaching, mm-hmm. I'm not quoting scriptures in every class that I'm in or, or whatever, but certainly my faith infuses how I deal with people. Right. So, yeah. That's awesome. Now, You mentioned this earlier, and this is actually like one of my questions that I had kind of pre-planned, was um, you talked about um, positive... Discipline. Yes, positive discipline. Mm -hmm. Most people probably don't equate discipline with being positive or a way that you can do it in a positive way. Right. So can you provide us, you know, maybe like one or two ways in which you can be um, kind of encouraging even through... The, the punishment. Exactly. And it's really, it's not necessarily punishment, but it's the consequence. Mm. And so for the start, um, to start off, we really need to look at consequences in a different way. Because first of all, consequences aren't necessarily negative or positive. They just are. They just are the, the result of an action taken or not taken. So I try to point out that and we always say, you have to live with the consequences. Well, sometimes the consequences are pretty good. Mm-hmm. You work hard. Like if our, when your child is in school, if your child studies hard, works hard, and gets a good grade, the, that is a consequence. Mm-hmm. Just as, excuse me, uh, leaving their jacket on the playground and losing it um, is also a consequence. So it's really, that's the important thing. That's They learn more from that than us trying to inflict pain. And also the fact is you inflict the pain and the problem still exists. Mm -hmm. Whereas for the, I mentioned a jacket. So uh, for a child that that's always losing their clothes out on the playground or at a friend's house or something like that. Well, a consequence could be that some of their birthday money or whatever it is they have should be used to help pay for that. Mm -hmm. Or if it's something that they break or something, then, you know, within or within reason, mm-hmm. some of their money could be used to to pay for it. And then even simpler than that, with a child that's in the kitchen and wants to um, fix their own lunch or something like that, and they make a mess and spill something, it's very simple. Clean it up. Mm-hmm. And it's just help them. I mean, show them where all the tools are, the paper towels and um, the 409 or whatever it is you want <laughs> them to use to wipe it up and walk them through it, mm-hmm. but involve them in it. Like, right. don't let them look at, don't let them watch you clean it up, right. but help them clean it up. And really, when you when you look at it that way, it even kind of takes away some of the anger. Mm-hmm. And the, 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 when you get that desire out of your mind and out of your heart that you've got to see them suffer because of this mistake that they made Mm -hmm. and instead focus on there's a problem that needs to be solved because you could yell at your son or daughter about making the mess in the kitchen and send them to their room. 
but the mess is still so staring intense. you in the face. And it's so funny you mentioned that, like, uh, yesterday. Well, I mean, this happens quite often. Um, after dinner, mm. they want to go up the stairs and they'll touch the walls. Mm. And so their hands are all, like, messy. And sometimes it's, okay, clean your hands before you go upstairs. But they don't do a good enough job making sure that their hands are clean. And you may be off doing something else. Mm-hmm. And so I remember one time I... um. I told them, if you go up the stairs again and you're touching the walls, you're going to clean the walls. Right. But they actually enjoyed cleaning. I was like, this was supposed to be. (laughs) (laughs) But it worked. You know, now they don't necessarily want to have to clean the walls, but they understand if I'm walking up the stairs and I'm touching my, you know, the walls, my hands are not clean. I'm going to get stuck cleaning the walls. And that literally just happened last night. Right. And the problem got solved. And, you know, so what? They had fun doing it. Mm-hmm. They solved. They they cleaned up. They they repaired the situation. Yes. It was one less thing mommy had to do. Right. <laughs> and it's something they learned to do. Or, right. You know. Lesson learned. Or they understand when I say, you know, True. don't do this or this is what's going to happen. They now, you know, weigh the options of, okay, do I really want to have to do that? Right. So they know if they are going to defy you, then then there, there will be consequences. And, you know, a lot of times, too, it's not that they're going to always love it. But sometimes, you know, outwardly, they may be kind of grumbling at you or whatever. Mm-hmm. But in their mind, they're connecting the dots. I mean, yeah. I did. she did say, mm-hmm. don't do you know, right. don't put my hands on the wall or come straight home from school. And I didn't, you know. Right. So they you, see and their you want them, and you, Yes. And you actually want them to to make those connections and see because they have a lot more power than they think. A lot of times with them misbehaving, it's because they feel powerless. Mm-hmm. But when you use consequences instead of uh, punishment, they start to see, well, I made a choice. Now, is this a conversation that you have with your children? How old are they now? Like, start? Oh, my children are now um, 18. Okay. So is this a conversation that you would have with them about consequences? Like, you know, if you don't do this, this, like, did you explain to them at their ages, like when they were young, about Mm -hmm. consequences? Well, yes. And it's, I mean, I didn't go into, well, this from now on, you're going to have consequences. I didn't label it that way, but I... But or, or or sometimes I would say, well, this will be this is a consequence of what you did. But it's not a whole discussion about it. But it's the way you talk. It's it's if using if then statements, for example, okay. or when then. Mm-hmm. So say if, for example, if you all were supposed to be getting ready to go to a birthday party or something and you wanted them to clean up, um, clean up the family room or something where they had um, toys or whatever all over the place. I mean, you could go about it two ways. We're not going anywhere mm-hmm. until this family room's cleaned up. Mm-hmm. You could go about that way, and they might get mad and whatever. Or, listen, I'm ready to go when you are. When the family room's clean, uh, we can go. Just let me know. And you can go do something else. <laughs> but you've said the same thing. We're not leaving mm-hmm. until the family room's clean. You know, but yeah. it's kind of a, it's it's kind of up to them. You're not invested. You you know, it's the it's the birthday party. You all want to go. Right. I mean, you don't have to say that, but right. that's basically what you're conveying. It's wow. the same thing. Now I know we're almost out of time, um, but I wanted to ask something because as a, a woman business owner, one of the things that I think most women deal with is guilt around leaving their children, Mm -hmm. um, especially if they're young, Mm -hmm. um, to go pursue 
their dreams, their passions. Do you have any um, words of encouragement for them or tools or resources or, you know, a thought on, you know, how they can overcome the guilt? Right. Well, I absolutely believe that it's important to maintain your passion. And it may not be at the same level and in in the exact same way that you practiced it before they came, Mm -hmm. but you've got to, you've got to do that. Continue to invest in yourself in some way because they're going to have a happier parent Mm -hmm. and a more fulfilled parent if you do that. So find ways to carve out, like during this time when I was home with them and even before they left, they just, left for college and my business partner's last child just left for college. Uh, You know, there are a lot of business opportunities we didn't take or didn't pursue. Mm -hmm. And that's just a choice we made about how big this business can be while we also do the things that we think are important for our family. So you have to kind of make some trade-offs, but you want to find a way to to practice your passion on some level. And you shouldn't feel um, guilty about that. Understand where you, what you want to do. What are, what are your goals with your family? Mm-hmm. What is it that you want to make sure that you do for them? And once you're doing that, there's absolutely nothing wrong with you taking care of yourself too. Now, throughout your journey, have you noticed that there's a particular area or age mm-hmm. um, of, ch- of child that you um, really work with? Or, you know, because I I feel like across the board, every stage and every age comes with its own set of Mm -hmm. potential um, issues that can arise. Absolutely. Um, Is there a particular area that you feel like you work with the most? Well, the area that we work with the most are kind of uh, K through six. And that's just because those are a lot of the parents that come to that's those are the parents that come. I mean, a lot of people think in middle school, now oh, we don't have to be as concerned. So, and I don't believe that's correct, but mm-hmm. sometimes they think that. Mm-hmm. And then, and, and certainly in, in high school, uh, but I've done all ages mm-hmm. because between my work with the parent encouragement program, where I am still a certified parent educator, um, you know, parents have children of all ages and. I, I with them though I tend to do a lot of work with young ones, mm-hmm. but uh, and some of my uh, work with the company it's kind of been middle school. But it just kind of I would say that the sweet spot in terms of where parents feel like they are open to some parent education is kind of uh, K through six. Okay, but we've done all ages. Okay, no, this has been so enlightening. Um, like I said at the top of the show, it's not something that we hear often as a career option. Um, So hearing about your journey has been absolutely remarkable. And it's time for our tech break, but you're not going anywhere. So you're still going to be here. And when we come back after Tech Talk, we will be introducing our audience to the woman behind Fighting for Lies. So stay with us. All right, it's time to get techie with Tech Talk. Today, we have Miss Jaleesa Johnson in studio with us to bring us an oldie but goodie. So what is this oldie, Miss Jaleesa? Hey, Angel, I'm back in studio and I have an oldie but goodie because I'm finding an increase in consultants that I meet do not have a LinkedIn profile. Now, why is it important or why do you get why are you disturbed by the fact that people don't have this LinkedIn profile? Because I get so many business cards 
And when I go to research about the person, about their business, if you don't have a website as a consultant, you certainly have to have some type of profile online. The way of the world is to be searchable. Right. You want people to you want to be able to say Google me and something of substance comes up. Right? I want to find you and I want to find out things about you and I want to find out what other people have to say about you. Mm-hmm. And I want to know who you know. Maybe you know somebody that I know. Now you have references. Mm-hmm. So LinkedIn is a great reference point for consultants, especially. Now, what are some of the key things that you look for when you are evaluating potential um, consultants to bring on board? Um, education, um, work experience, um, how many people have hit your blogs or uh, are writing up about you, what type of things you're looking at to bring into business. Now, more specifically, um, you, you hit on this a little earlier as you were speaking about the um, the recommendations mm-hmm. um, and being able to see that. How important is it to utilize people within your network and say, hey, would you mind writing me a recommendation? As a consultant, you're just you. So if you're consulting for multiple companies, people want to know that those companies were satisfied with your work. You want to have somebody out there that can give you a good reference. If you don't have a reference and you've been in business as a consultant for five years, then I certainly am not interested in doing business with you either. (laughs) Okay. well, thank you for keeping it very um, clear and poignant as to why LinkedIn is a great resource for not only consultants, but for all of our business professionals out there. If you're looking for a good social media platform, I think LinkedIn is one that you definitely want to give it a shot. All right. Um, if you want more information on LinkedIn, visit our website at wbbtalk.com. Welcome back to the Woman Behind the Business Talk Show. I'm your host, Angel Livis, and we just wrapped up an awesome conversation with Carol Moletta, the woman behind Gardner Parenting Consultants. Now, we are welcoming somebody you all already know. Uh, Dr. Tia Hill is joining us so we can have a great discussion on mental health and the importance of maintaining a good mental health. Welcome to the show, Tia. Hi, how are you? I'm well. All right, so Fighting for Lives. Mm-hmm is doing remarkable work in the Washington, D.C. area. Talk to us a little bit about what Fighting for Lives stands for and is all about. Fighting for Lives is a mental health consulting firm. Um, One of the things that most providers or most people with mental health are familiar with is an OMHC or core service agency. Uh, A core service agency in the District of Columbia is where a patron or member is able to come to a facility, get psychiatric evaluation, medication management, work with something known as a CBI or community support based worker and be able to get some of the service that they need for their mental health. Along the years of working in the industry, I've discovered that that model in some instances work, but for the younger generation, for people who are trying to authentically connect and understand how to function with their mental illness, It doesn't work well. We specialize from children in five to like 99, but more like five to 40. Mm -hmm. Um, We specialize also in inner city dynamics, which is primarily inner city family structures. We work a lot with single mothers. We do a lot of stuff with autism and uh, attention deficit hyperactivity. Uh, We do things very, very differently. And then we do basic medication management. 
One of the things that we do is a actual contract. So we create a proposal for our members when they come in where we're able to say we're going to work with you for this amount of time versus saying you're with us forever. Mm -hmm. A lot of the core servant agencies or providers in the area like to keep their members for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm very big on educating promoting, helping you heal and get you to the next level. I do not believe that someone should be with my facility for more than at least two years, unless you're on medication management. For me, I feel that you can tell a tree by its fruit. So if you're still connected to me and you're an adult after two years and you need to come to me every week or just any of my providers or therapists, community support workers, then this means that you need something more intense and fighting for lives is not for you. We're very big on making sure that you have the basic coping skills, understanding what mental health is. We use the term depression and bipolar and anxiety so loosely in 2018 that we're not actually actually treating mental health. Mm-hmm. We're treating socioeconomic issues. So if my child is not able to focus in school, uh, he's acting out. He has ADHD and I need a pill for that and you need to give it to me. And then I can go with Social Security and I can live. Absolutely not. There are so many other races that have ADHD and they do not look at it as a crippling factor or an ability to go with Social Security. But instead, they understand the tools that they need for their children to get the provisions that they need to excel. So if my child is unable to focus, why are we not trying to get extended test time? Why are we not working on making sure that when he is reading, we're actually focusing on his IEP at his grade level? Why are we putting my child in a room full of other children who are acting out? As an adult, we tell people consistently, you are you become the top five people that you associate with. So when we put a child in a room with a lot of other children who are displaying certain behaviors, and then you're wondering why little Jimmy is coming back hitting you when he was not doing that at first, he was exposed to that. Mm-hmm. So we're not authentically treating Pure mental health. Now, what is mental health? Mental health and mental illness are two totally different things. Mm -hmm. Mental illness is a diagnosis. Mental health is your mental health. The way that you function, the way that you cope, the way that you believe in you, like what you believe in, what you feel. Mm -hmm. And again, because the words and the line have gotten so blurred, um, one of the biggest words that is also misconstrued is behavioral health. Mm-hmm. So we take the auspice of behavioral health and we will then characterize mental illness and mental health under behavioral health when what it really means is that it's the inability to function and to cope and you're not comfortable. That's your mental health. So when you know you need a rest day um, where your job may say you have your mental health day, just to rest, regroup, mm-hmm. um, focus on you, get a mani, get a petty, go get a massage. Go get tea, drink a glass of wine, whatever it is that you need. That's your mental health. Now, how I, I feel like sometimes people are so, um, you know, this the superwoman mentality. <laughs> uh, they don't know how to even recognize that they're in need of a mental health day. What are some different things that can be triggers or um, alerts to let you know, like, yo, you need you need to take, take a few steps back and have some time for just self. So I can speak from experience. Mm-hmm. I do suffer from um, superwoman syndrome. As do I. Um, <laughs> and what I've learned is that, and this is something that I'm having to implement in my office now. Mm-hmm. I can no longer see patients four days, four times a week, every week for four weeks. I cannot. Um, it's not because I don't love my patients. It's not because I don't believe in them. It is authentically because when everyone is regurgitating you have to be able to release. Mm. 
I think that what we do as providers or as business owners, entrepreneurials, is we are always trying to get to the next biggest thing to fill the gap of the current thing, because I don't believe that we allow ourselves to celebrate in the moment. Mm -hmm. And we over exhilarate ourselves and we drain ourselves. And I am speaking from a place of purely in the seat of it myself. I am having to make executive decisions and also release Mm -hmm. CEOism. Mm -hmm. If I'm paying you, you have to do your job. I think that one of the things that we do is hold on to everything so tight because we're afraid of failure. Mm -hmm. We don't understand that our mental health is vital. And as women, period, because we produce life, we are constantly producing. Mm -hmm. We care, we birth, we nurture, we feed. We do not understand that from the moment that we were created, we were given this role to operate as superwoman. Mm -hmm. And we don't understand the balance because when we do operate in balance, we listen to the outside voices of telling us you're not a good mother if you don't pick up Jimmy at four. You're not a good mother if you're not cooking dinner every day. You're not a good woman if your business isn't making this. Um, If you're a small business owner, Small business is anything under 6.5 million. So in our brain, we have subconsciously been conditioned to believe that we're not enough Mm. when enough is resting. Even if you want to go on the other level out of those seven days, he rested. Mm -hmm. And so we do not put an emphasis of resting, recharging, recalibrating and loving on ourselves. We're so focused on loving on everything else and making sure that everything else is growing, Mm -hmm. that we don't do it for ourselves. And so we have to make decisions. And like I was saying, one of those for me is that I can no longer see patients every week. Mm -hmm. I I honestly can't Mm -hmm. because the stories are all starting starting to sound the same. Um, Life happens for us. Mm -hmm. And so we have to be authentic in that as well to know that to whom much is given, much is required. And if I'm burnt out, I can't be required for anything. Right. Now, When it comes to um, one of the things that you mentioned earlier is knowing and understanding what um, bipolar, what that really Mm -hmm. looks like, what, you know, anxiety looks like, what, you know, depression looks like. Mm -hmm. Can you define each of those for us? I definitely can. What I will do is I will do a broad definition. One of the reasons I'm saying that is because people take one symptom and they go. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Let me be perfectly clear when I say this. Anyone who has studied the DSM-5 knows the DSM-5. I have another person who is in the industry. What's DSM-5? Because I'm not in the industry. Okay, so that is the manual as to which we diagnose patients. Okay. Um, In the DSM-5, 90.999% of all diagnoses mimic each other. So aggression can be noticed in bipolar depression, anxiety. What has happened over the years, before I go into a little bit, is that we now have this beautiful place called Google and people Google their diagnoses and they will tell me that they have strep throat, but it's anxiety. Or it's a heart attack, but it's anxiety. Uh, Different things because we go to this other man-made location. So the most common effects of bipolar and depression, because bipolar is in the depression family, Mm -hmm. it's 
And that's another, I don't Mm want to go too technical, but it's a part of the depression. So when you experience bipolar, it's a form of depression. And depression, without anything else, is where getting up is very difficult. Wanting to continue to focus on your daily moods is hard. Um, Basically, your life functioning, you just don't want to do it. You're in this sunken place that you do not want to ever get out of. Where with bipolar, you can have a manic, grandiosis feeling. You want to take on the world. You can go into a compulsive behavior and go shopping. I literally like spend like $10,000 overnight. Don't know. (laughs) And then stay up for five to 10 days. And then one day just go to sleep and sleep for four to 10. There are different symptoms. There's different things. And I don't like to go into too depth because unless I'm really with you and I'm going through the book, what I've learned is that we talk about it so easily that if you're in a bad mood or you're doing something, say you spent $400 in a grocery store, you're like, oh gosh, I have bipolar. (laughs) And it's much more difficult than that. Um, One of the things too is, as she was talking about early childhood, technically most children under 12 are not supposed to be diagnosed with bipolar. Over the years, it has become more of a common thing. So we're starting to diagnose children at six and seven with bipolar when technically it should just be a mood dysregulation disorder and not necessarily of a bipolar level with the medication that would be given to them. Anxiety is when you are anxious, when you are uncomfortable with the unknown. And so with you being uncomfortable with the unknown, your body reacts to it. Your hands can get clammy. Hmm. You can sweat. You can get shortness of breath. When you're around people, any small thing can trigger you. And then the first cousin to that is also PTSD. So people used to think that that was only if you were in the war. Absolutely not. If you ever became homeless, if you've ever been in domestic violence, if you've ever been through anything traumatic in your life, if you've heard gunshots, car accident, anything, (laughs) you can be driving down the street. A car can slam in front of you and do the exact same thing. And it takes your mind right back to that situation. And one of the things that we do not talk about, especially as adults, is if your traumatic situation happened when you were four, you continued to grow, but your emotions stopped at four because it was never dealt with. And so what we have is a lot of grown folks who are really stagnant as to where their traumatic situation occurred and they just continued to grow in the natural, but they did not grow in the emotional. Mm-hmm. And that's something that we're really starting to see the effects of now, because when we're talking about children, when we're talking about training children, talking about having conversations, you're talking to parents who cannot relate at all because no one ever worked with them through the issues when they were children. Now, what encouraged you or motivated you to start fighting for lives? The reality is that I have one situation away from every single mother, every family that I work with. And at one point in my life, I was fighting for mine. And I remember that it was the degrees and different things that people gave me another look and they wouldn't help me. And then I realized that a degree doesn't make you, doesn't turn you into somebody. It doesn't make you better than anyone. And then there was a lot of voices out there that have never been exposed. And I have been blessed to be able to be in rooms, to speak to a lot of people and that you don't do better until you get better. 
And so the purpose of us is to truly fight for their life and to get them into a point where they can succeed, not to be connected to us to forever, but to get them to the next level where they can be able to be who they are supposed to be and to make sure that we create a legacy. Because if we continue the way that we are, we are in trouble. Well, ladies, we have definitely come to the point in the show where it's time for us to move into our moments from the valley. Um, this is the part of the show where we will ask you to share a moment that you weren't quite sure how you were going to get out of that situation and, and what the situation was and what was waiting for you on the other side. So um, while you ladies take a few moments and think about that moment from the valley, um, we are going to head into our WBB health tips with Dr. Tia Hill. It's time for the Woman Behind the Business Health Tip with Dr. Tia Hill. And today we are going to talk about those good old detoxes. Dr. Hill, what you got to tell me about some detox? Well, when's the last time you've been had a detox? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. What's your most common detox that you ever heard about? Have you heard of colonics? No, I don't know what colonics is. You asked me that before we started recording. I don't know what colonics is. The, the, okay, so the last one that I think I may have done may have been like, seven years ago and it was like the lemonade one or something the beyonce did oh i don't know okay there are many multiple hundreds and thousands of detoxes let me just say that Mm -hmm. for one um in the medical field we do detoxes especially when we're about to give somebody a colonoscopy or they are constipated um a lot of our grandparents used to use the good old enema which, and the um, what did my daddy used to take? Um, prune juice, cod liver oil. Oh, good old cod liver oil. <laughs> see, that, see, that's good stuff. <laughs> now we're getting somewhere. And you used to drink a teaspoon in the morning, flush your right on out. Ew. But here's the thing about detoxing. Okay, we have. You'd be surprised what is inside of your body. You have people, you're inhaling things. People swallow gum, hair follicles. You get a good flushing out. You might see some things. Yeah, and that is what you normally will see in a good colonic. Now, okay, what is a colonic? So here's a a colonic is when is it like a colonoscopy? No, but it's like the first cousin in it without being in a colonoscopy. It's when they insert a tube into your anus, and then it. Why can't you say rectum? (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, (laughs) and and the water. They, they, it has a machine where it pushes water in. So you have something pushing water in and then also retracting water. Um, depending on the facility that you go to, someone may be rubbing your stomach um, or you can have a massager. Your legs up in the air? No, you're on a stool. Like you're sitting on a machine. So you're sitting in a supine arch position. Mm-hmm. Do you know what that is? Nope. Okay. Go ahead. So you're sitting in this chair, mm-hmm. rubbing your stomach, mm-hmm. and then they'll start to move the bowels. You know, your small intestine, you'll rub your small intestines, your large intestines. The water will shoot up and the pressure will start to relieve so that it can get that backed up fecal dried along your walls and just softens it up and it allows it to come out. So how much weight do you lose after you do this? It depends on some people have lost drastically like five pounds. I've seen some people who have lost none. I've seen others who they just were able to go to the bathroom. Their skin cleared up. Um, They were no longer like just compacted. Yeah. You know, and I think that sometimes we think that everything is weight related, but it wasn't. It's just really getting out that bacteria, those toxins, that fungus. Um, Another great form of um, a detoxer is also getting your feet detoxified. Okay, wait, let's stick with this. What's it called? 
The colonic. Okay. So the colonic, you have to go to a facility to have done. They have them. You can get them in the, especially now that it's spring. Groupon has them all the time. <laughs> no, I'm saying it's, it's a big deal. People will go and they will get a good colonic. <laughs> I'm, you're laughing. I'm not. I'm laughing because I'm learning. Like, but, but it but it helps. It, you'll be surprised because the most people can go three days without having a bowel movement. Yeah, I don't know. But imagine if you yeah. have, so if imagine if you're going around for 180 days and out of that, every three, you had a bowel movement when you're supposed to have two a day, at least you're supposed to have a bowel movement after every meal. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. So talk to me about these foot detoxes. So a foot detox also gets the impurities and pulls them from your feet. So if you ever have gotten to go and get a foot detox, they are absolutely amazing. You can actually see the toxins mm-hmm. as they're coming out of your out of your feet. Um, and you actually, actually will feel better. Your equilibrium will be adjusted. You can smell. You'll be very surprised at where your pressure points are in your feet. Mm-hmm. So your senses will be on alert. And you'll be able to just think a little bit clearly, but you'll also, again, be able to get um, a, your body will be able to start to flush and remove a lot of the toxins as well. This is so interesting to me. Like I never, like I said, I haven't had a detox probably in like seven, eight years. And these were the the homemade remedy kind. I feel like, you know, a lot of what we're talking about is actually going and having a professional give mm-hmm. you a real detox. And even though I made the statement earlier about them being on Groupon, I do want to just let this disclaimer be known. You do need to make sure it's a professional. Um, getting a colonic is not a get rich skinny scheme. So you may lose um, four to five inches. I'm giving an analogy. Um, you know, at that one procedure mm-hmm. that doesn't mean go back every week. Definitely do not because your body has to replenish itself. You need time to recalibrate. I do not recommend doing them continuously, mm-hmm. um, maybe once or at the most twice a year, but just something to just help you get and keep your body flushed and keep yourself thinking clear. And how often should you actually do a detox? I am a person that I believe that you should always reset your system. I do. I think even when it comes to prescribing medications, depending on the medication, sometimes you just need to allow your body the chance to get back Mm -hmm. to be clear. But for the most part, I would say at least once a year. Okay. And even if that's just like really good clean eating and drinking a lot of water and making sure that you're having bowel movements, it makes a big difference because your medicine has a chance to also work too. Wonderful. All right. Well, that's this week's Woman Behind the Business Health Tip with Dr. Taya Hill. Um, Any questions, please feel free to send us a note on our website at wbbtalk.com. All right, ladies, I gave y'all a few minutes. Um, We are going to start with you, Carol. Okay. Well, I had to think about which moment in which valley, but because life is, is really a journey. But I think that I would have to say maybe... Very early on um, with my children, about when they were about 13 months old, uh, we started to, I started to just notice some things in um, the behavior with one. And that just took us on a journey. We, you know, had a very good pediatrician. And so it kind of started off with speech. And, and then we, as we kind of learned more about it, then it was, there was some occupational. Um, you know, some occupational therapy needs to help working with fine motor and things like that. And so 
That was really a moment because it was like, what is what does this mean? And then you have doctors giving you all kinds of um, labels and things like that. And so I had to really look. I was like, I know all of that's going on, but I really felt felt that by that time I really knew his heart. And I felt like we just have to get support for all of this external stuff, um, mm-hmm. helping with the diff- you know the fine motor skills and and, and speech speaking and all of that. But we've got to get all of that out of the way because I see wheels turning, I see him thinking, and I see I see him processing. And so we have to get these other impediments out of the way. And so. You know, for a time there, I really had to, you know, I did a lot of research and things like that and really had to rely on my faith as well. And like, in fact, I even have my two scriptures that I really leaned on. Which were what? Um, well, um, 1 Corinthians 2 and 9, eyes have not seen nor ears, near ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man those things that God has planned for those that love him. And so that was actually for that particular child. I mean, you know, as as the years have gone by, I applied to both of them. And so um, I, I, I was telling um, Angel earlier that, you know, they just went off to college. And, you know, I just... I just said I I know he'll be able to do what he what he wants to do. We just have to to push through it. And so uh, that was like that was a valley moment, but I didn't sit in there too long. I was like I can't stay here too long because he needs me to to shake this off and and start working. And so that's kind of what, you know, my husband and I started to do and really he's he's um I'm, pr- I'm proud of both of my children, very hard workers, but he, you know, he really worked very very hard for for everything he's ever learned. I always say he he worked hard for everything he ever learned, everything he knows how to do. And he's in college uh, when um, a middle school teacher told him he wouldn't be going. Mm-hmm. And and it wasn't even in a way, in a negative way, like it wasn't an argument or a heat of the moment. Mm-hmm. He just very sympathetically said, you know, you won't be going. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's there. Look at me now. <laughs> right. <laughs> I love it. Thank you, Carol. Dr. Tia Hill? Probably when I was 20. My son's father was extremely abusive Mm -hmm. domestically. And um, I remember because I never met my father that I thought in order to keep my son to have something I never had, he just had to deal with. I had to deal with that. And when my son was in pre-K, we got kicked out of four preschools because he was in there just hitting kids like they were toys. And I had to make an executive decision. It was probably the one of the hardest decisions because I never wanted to be a single mother, but I became a single mother at that point. When I look at who my son is right now, he is absolutely amazing. Mm-hmm. Absolutely but it was the fact that I made decisions mm-hmm. to, to impact his life. Mm-hmm. It has been a sacrifice. It has been tough. But I am thankful for where I am now. And there is a part of me that I admire in me for being able to say enough is enough. But I had to love me first because I didn't love me because I felt like I deserved every hit, mm. every blow. And when I started to really understand what loving me was, I knew that I deserved more and what loving my son was. And so 
the valley of that was going through it, but the coming up and being able to be on the other side of that, when it says I, you have no clue what the plans I have for you, every single thing I have ever been through is what is affecting my decisions. It makes me as a businesswoman, it keeps me grounded, it keeps my relationship spiritually because of those situations. So I would honestly say that that was probably my turning point, especially with my son. That was it. Well, thank you both so very much. Um, Have our moments from the valley because we believe that it's through sharing our testimonies that we can manifest and speak life into others who are currently going through those situations. And um, and I, it also provides healing. I feel like because we're no longer sitting in that particular situation or emotion, but when you share it, it almost is like. You went through that to help somebody else go through something. Mm -hmm. So um, I truly appreciate both of your willingness to participate in my Moments from the Valley segment. Um, And I know that that your moments are really going to help somebody through a situation that they're dealing with. Um, So at this time, if you would like to share some social media so people can get in contact with you or follow you on social media, Carol, you can start. Um, sure. Uh, my website is carolmuleta.com. That's C-A-R-O-L-M-U-L-E-T-A.com. And that provides information about all of the work that I do. And I also, excuse me, I also tape, I also uh, post my radio shows, my episodes for that. Um, on Instagram, I am the the Parenting 411 Twitter. I'm the parenting 411. I guess all of them. Uh, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. It's all the parenting 411. Awesome. And Miss Fighting for Lives, Dr. Tia Hill. Um, everything is fight in F I G H T I N, the number four lives, L I V E S dot org. Facebook, Instagram. We have a Twitter. I don't use it. Um, you know and different things um so we're on that we're pretty active we're getting ready to be more and what's your social handle fighting for lives that's it okay Mm -hmm. all right awesome well thank you ladies both for being our guests today we really appreciate it uh learning about your journey and also about your um your occupations that you decided to pursue. And ladies and gentlemen, that is our show for today. Please be sure to check out past broadcasts on our website, wbbtalk.com, and pick up your copy of the Washington Informer to see the Woman Behind the Business Spotlight section. And of course, follow us on social media at wbbtalk. Don't forget about the Woman Behind the Business Retreat that's coming up in November. That is the weekend after Thanksgiving, November 24th through the 28th at the British Colonial Hilton in Nassau, Bahamas. You can learn more at wbbtalk.com slash registration. A special thank you to our show producer, Cal Murdoch, and our program director, Max Myrick. And today we have a special engineer sitting in for us, Miss Jessica. Thank you so much. And until next time, ladies and gentlemen, stay blessed.